So Matt, I uh, I broke out the mouth taping devices over the past four or five days after our last conversation. Did you really? I did, and I have a reason for it. I know in that conversation I was pretty down though. I said they didn't work. Uh, they only woke me up in the night, and I pulled them off, or they would get lost in the bed. You know, just didn't didn't work, and didn't do anything to actually improve my sleep. Um, but I realized what what the distinction is. That trying to put that on, you know, to do an already okay sleep maybe is is sort of optimizing, right? It's looking for that little bit of edge to get get yourself to be nose breathing. What I was doing wasn't that. It was that I've like for the past really ever since I moved in this house, it's been like a year now. Uh I, I wake up with my mouth like completely dry, like sandpaper, my tongue, cheeks, everything completely dry. And I've been in a particularly bad spell of sleep recently. And it occurred to me that maybe the mouth dryness uh is actually like the cause of my waking up and probably like that. So then I said, I started using them and it's actually been pretty well and I've or worked pretty well. Uh, I'm surprised at how quickly you can kind of train yourself to, to breathe that way uh, again. But I was asking myself, what was the difference? And I decided that what it was, and that's actually became the inspiration for this episode. I decided that like, in that case, I was, I was diagnosing a problem and I was fixing it by seeking out a, you know, a solution. Like you might, if there was too much light coming into your room or if you're always waking up hot then you seek out a solution. Uh, but I think that's very different from, from optimizing and trying to, trying to, uh, you know, do everything you can to gain that edge. Uh, and it goes for nutrition and fitness and everything else as well. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, but anyway, aside from that, before we get too deeply in, how are you doing and how are you, how are you sleeping? I mean, we talked so much about sleep last time. Any better? Sleep is, sleep is always good. Sleep is easy for me. Yeah. Um, my biggest issue is I, uh, Adriana now is, is going to the hospital to feed our little one at nine o'clock at night and she gets back at like 1030. And I'm like, well, you know, obviously I, I stay here to be with our other kids. And so I'm like, well, I'm just kind of here and alone. I might as well get some work done. And so I end up drinking tea or something at around five with that in my mind. And so we're now operating squarely on Hawaiian time because, you know, we're going to bed like 12 o'clock and still somehow getting up at six. So maybe it's not Hawaiian time um, to get, you know, ready and get the day going and, you know, wake up the rest of the kids. So, so I sleep incredibly efficiently between 12 and six and it's starting to take a toll. I wouldn't say I recommend it to anybody, um, but let me tell you, I do not wake up during those hours. I am, I am out. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the way to do it. But I think if, to me, if you're going to sleep a little bit, that's better to do it in only six hours than to take 10 hours to sleep six hours. <laughs> so uh, that's pretty <laughs> that's good. True. I think I think you're on the right track there. Anyway, um, you know, I'm looking forward to this discussion because I think, I mean, I, I think maybe your your thinking has changed a little bit recently. Um, mine has actually moved further in the direction of anti-optimization, but I'm going to try to have an open mind here. But you've kind of always, uh, to me, seemed to be uh, an optimizer, somebody who who you know wants to try to uh, use technology or whatever things you can do to to kind of optimize. And I don't, I don't know how exactly to define optimize. Uh, you think of you know that optimized morning routine that we talked about in our very first episode. Um, that's a pretty good example of kind of what we mean when it says like you know I've got these three hours in the morning. Perhaps that's about the most maybe I can manage before work uh, when I'm getting up and I'm doing this and this and this and this and these are all things that are meant to make me at my best. Uh, not usually meant to, you know, bring me happiness or joy in the moment. I guess it's possible that they would if it was like meditation or something. 
but you know, meant to meant to be at your best as, as opposed to kind of like just just doing what most humans do in the morning, which is kind of you know ease their way in or or uh, I don't know, <laughs> just do Cutter. what sort of feels good in the moment. Look at so look at uh, uh, is that fair? Je Jeff Bezos, you know, Jeff Bezos is known for and widely you know, publicizes that he likes to putter around in the morning. He doesn't mm. do early morning meetings. He likes to putter. If I if I could guess, he's probably getting up at like 4.30 in the morning and like puttering around until like 7. Um, it's not exactly maybe what, what you might imagine. I'm just guessing that. Uh, but um, yeah, it's an interesting question. I think, you know, the two things that stood out to me is sort of optimizing to like gain that edge in your health. Um, you know, and, and happiness and what is the trade-off for the extra work and stress that you might be putting in to gain that, that, that edge. And maybe it causes more stress as you and I have both experienced, um, you know, too much information can actually backfire, uh, you know, and it and can actually be a really, you know, sort of a uh, um, difficult thing to, to wrap your head around what you're seeing in these numbers. For me, I would add another word in, which is learning. I, I do like gadgets. I do like technology. I do, I, I do find it fun to, you know, explore what these numbers can tell us. And and they're more and more. I mean, I was like into this probably twenty years ago. There was like that, you know, kind of neural feedback loop thing, and I I remember ordering it. It looked like it was, it was a bunch of electrodes that you'd put onto like your head. And then like a sweatband, literally, it was like, so the consumer experience was so bad back then, you know, you like put these on, like tape them down to your forehead and like put a sweatband over it. You're supposed to sleep like that. You know, I was, I was into that stuff. I still am to some extent. Um, what did that thing supposedly but, do? I remember that. Did it somehow? I, th like, I think it's a, it's a deep, deep, deep sleep, deep sleep. Okay. It would help with getting into those brainwave. It was like, yeah. Stimulate whatever that was. Yeah. Which, by the okay. way, now we're getting into even crazier territory where, like, there's a feedback. Uh, I, I don't know enough about this, so I shouldn't even be bringing it up. But I saw a recent headline that there's an AI company that has now is using electro stimulation. So, you know, pulsating your brain with some level of electricity at certain regions in order to induce lucid dreaming. And, mm. you know, for those who have not heard lucid dreaming, it's like where you are aware of the fact that you are dreaming and in theory could take control of the dream and fly around and do all these cool things. Um, as tantalizing as it sounds, uh, I don't think I'm going to be the first one to optimize my dream states by shocking my brain with small electric, low electric currents, right? That's a little, a little too much for me. I, I got close to going down that road during COVID when uh, I was playing the piano a lot and I'm doing some other stuff too, that you know, all learning focused language. Stuff. And I saw a device like that, that somehow promised to, you know, drastically increase, not, not like your retention, but your ability to do things, especially things that were like motor, motor skills. It wasn't just like learning a language, but things that were motor skills. And some, a doctor had actually suggested it, a, a concussion doctor for my son and said, this might be a good thing uh, as a soccer player. But we didn't we didn't go down that road. But I actually was not that far from ordering this thing and saying I'm gonna do that. But then I just I just got scared. Uh, but that's a good example. Right? That would that would be optimizing your learning maybe if it actually works uh, at at perhaps the expense of your happiness. I don't know. Uh, but like you said, there's there's the two questions there. There's there's the first one like, is this stuff worth it? 
if it makes your happiness worse. And and I think to me, nutrition is kind of a really obvious example there. Fitness perhaps too. Like, you know, if, if you say, if you really like drinking alcohol, for example, with people, but you decide you're not going to because you're optimizing, it's part of your optimal diet. Uh, similar, if you if you loved eating animal products, you said, I'm not going to because my my optimal longevity diet says I don't. Um, there's a there's a happiness cost there, at least at first as you're getting used to it. Um, but then the other question is like, does it actually work? Does it actually improve your health in the way that it's supposed to, whether you're talking about fitness or nutrition or sleep or whatever? Um, so they're both interesting things. You and I have talked about this a whole lot recently. Um, so much of the advice out there that we kind of poked fun of in that first episode with the crazy morning routine example, um, you know, that stuff that's like meant to make you healthier in some way, maybe more productive, whatever you, whatever you're kind of going for. But it, it's really hard to imagine being happy or that that is the way to maximize your happiness. So there's this trade-off thing that you mentioned. Um, and I've mentioned for years and years, been a fan of the blue zone stuff. Uh, Dan Butner's project where he looks at the longest lived zones in the world. It maybe really doesn't need much of an introduction anymore. Um, and the stuff they do for, for both health, for, for health, really, I think, I think it's first uh, highlighted as health stuff. Uh, the way they eat, the way they live, the way they move. Um, th that stuff, you know, that's not optimizing at all. Right? Not, I don't even think they're trying to live long. They're just doing these practices that, that have happened to survive um, in, you know, in, in their culture for all these years. But then what it appears is that they're also a much happier people than, than those of us who are, who are, you know, in the rat race do, doing, using all the gadgets, doing the stuff to try to, to get healthier. So that's a really compelling piece of evidence there is that like the, the cultures that live the longest that therefore have the health that we are seeking, um, also appear to be much more happy and well-adjusted, uh, and kind of just acting like normal people, normal humans, than you get when you do the, the optimization thing. Yeah. I mean, I think that is the question, right? And, and the question is, I think if we want to take like an evidence-based approach, we have to ask ourselves, like, what is optimization? What are we talking about when we say optimization? And what are some of the, the tools that one might use? And how do they impact your, your health or your happiness? Because um, I think a blanket statement of optimization is bad because we should all, you know, drink high antioxidant wine and tend to goats in the Sardinias, you know, <laughs> like, like that's not, I don't know that that's, you know, we're never going to put the, the, the genie back in the bottle and optimization, you know, using technology, I should better say to learn about your body, I think can be beneficial. And I'll offer uh, maybe an example, like um, Brian Johnson, I think is the name, uh, you know, he's, he's, popular in in our circles at the moment because he's supposedly spending two million dollars a year on his longevity uh efforts um which include an ultra low calorie diet i don't remember the details but i think it's like under a thousand calories um as someone who's three days into a, a prolonged fast that has me on like 500 calories like I can't imagine spending every day like that. And I can't imagine that there's real happiness afforded to you. He eats the exact same thing. I think there's like two different smoothie looking type bowls 
you know, mm-hmm. one is like a lot of olive oil and greens. And it's all just like blended up with maybe there's like a nut in there. And the other one's got like some berries and whatnot. And it's super low calorie. He eats them, if I understand it correctly, at like 8 a.m. And then doesn't eat again for the rest of the day because he's allowing his body to 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 get into a fasted state, a truly rested state. So sleep is perfect. He sleeps alone because obviously you can't have someone kicking you in the middle of the night. That would that would disrupt your sleep, right? In a pitch black room, right? He's doing all these like, you know, photo therapies with red light and, and the like. And I could go on and on and on. People can Google it. Like if you're talking about that, it would be his goal is not happiness, right? His goal is to prove how far you can push longevity efforts to prove a point, perhaps to sell something. By the way, he now has his own supplement line. Um, okay. And and probably next he'll be selling his little food products and some red light, you know, glasses and all the rest, right? So sure. I think I think we should look at things skeptically and I think we should, you know, but using that as an example then to, to translate it. So, so we know on that end of the spectrum, it's clearly not a positive thing on the end of the spectrum that I think is healthy. Like I, I am a proponent of wearing a continuous glucose monitor, a CGM. They're now available to consumers. Your doctor can also write a prescription. I would have one on right now if I had one available to me, but we're not at home. Um, Siri is letting me know the time. Um, and I, I think it is I think it is incredibly uh, educational to see how your body reacts to food. And I don't think you should do it every single day because to your point, I think it starts to get into a territory where you might actually stress out about it and it doesn't pinch on your happiness. Um, but I think for a two-week optimization sprint, which isn't, again, optimization is not the right word. It's about learning about your body, how it interacts with, with different nutrients, right? Like I have found it fascinating that the quantity of what I eat, you know, can can impact my, my um, uh, you know, glucose and obviously the things that you eat. And it reminds you of like this, this beautiful intricacy that your body you know, is conducting every every waking moment and sleeping moment for that matter um, with your pancreas to release, you know, uh, glucose and, and or, or rather insulin and, and deal with glucose in the body and how difficult life is for a type one diabetic or a, a type two and beyond type diabetic that, you know, has to inject with insulin and has to monitor that or risks damaging vital organs and eyesight and all that stuff. And you think about learning about your body in that way and tracking it and seeing like, oh, wow, you know, if I if I eat such and such, or if I eat it late at night and your blood sugar is just like elevated to the entire night, how that then translates to changing behaviors and, and connecting more with what your body needs, I think is actually a, a positive optimization. That doesn't mean I would wear a CGM forever and ever and and like you know try to maintain my my blood glucose levels below 80 and it and it, it starts to stress you out and you don't eat certain things you eat certain times it starts disrupting your social life or your familiar life like for sure i think that's where it goes too far but but i think you know playing with these technologies to learn i, I i'm actually still an advocate for yeah i think i think i am in agreement there uh, for a long time, I've said 
very similar things about running with a heart rate monitor. Um, that to me, that's very much emblematic. I mean, nowadays, I guess the Strava thing and all that is emblematic of like a, the technology runner who was kind of missing the point, right? Many like running purists would say like, that's not, that's not really what is good about running. It's not about having this data or showing people what you're doing. It's, it's about like, you know, being out there moving, like, like that you're missing out on so much of that experience. Uh, if you have this other stuff going on, uh, and you're monitoring something while you're running, and I think I do agree with that, but, uh, I learned a whole lot in the, the three or four months that I spent running with a monitor, uh, you know, kind of learned where these different training zones are and even, even using these zones, I guess, as a form of kind of optimizing compared to like the completely pure way of just going out and running in a way that feels good. Um, but like you learn enough and then you eventually learn to kind of like tie the different changes in heart rate zones, uh, to different physical cues. And so eventually you can actually get rid of the heart rate monitor. Uh, for example, when your mouth drops open, like if you're trying to run with your, with that, without, uh, with it shut, like you'll notice as soon as you hit a new zone because your mouth drops open and like you just naturally find yourself looking for more air. Uh, and there are many other kind of cues and things that go with that. And if you actually, if you've never done that running, then you might not know where your, where your zones change. And sorry, if you've never done the, the heart rate monitor thing, but if you have, then you, you don't actually need it anymore unless you want to, you know, revisit or try to try to tune in again. Um, so I do agree with that. I think that's a, that's a really good point. Um, at the same time, like you said, like the continuous glucose thing, like it's, it's just hard to imagine having a good, healthy, like human relationship with food where you eat when you're hungry. Cause like we have, we have the signal that we're supposed to eat when we, our body tells us when we want to eat and, and ideally should tell us what we want to eat as well. Uh, I think a lot of people aren't maybe so calibrated these days with, with their system and they might get some, some bad information from listening to their body. Even, uh, if you've got some food addictions and things like that, um, but yeah, I think I think in general I agree that they're good short-term things, um, but th but that you know eventually you're kind of missing the point if that's all you're doing. Now, as you met yeah. Brian Johnson, that's an exception. Like if, yeah. if your life, if your whole purpose and happiness is given to you or fulfillment given to you by the very fact that you're doing that stuff, uh, that that might be different, right? Maybe then there's not much of a trade-off because you're actually getting uh, the the joy from the the optimizing itself. Right. I think, you know, I, I'll make two quick comments. Like, you know, one, uh, as you pointed out, I am, I have migrated further down the spectrum closer to you in which I am less about optimizing and more about happiness uh, as I've now repeated a few times. Like I'm a big fan of meditation. I continue to do that to this day. And, you know, I think that's also part of it. It's just like, having an appreciation for, for the quietness and the simple things and like just letting, letting the world sort of flow and surrendering to whatever it is and not really worrying about, you know, am I optimizing, uh, you know, my blood glucose. Um, there is certainly a, a happiness to that. Um, but I think, you know, at the end of the day, are, are we really suggesting that people don't benefit from, uh, learning about how foods impact their body and trying to eat in a way that is symbiotic with their physiology. Um, and I think that's where I say a little bit of this, you know, is, is useful to learn. Where I also think that you can go too far. And what I would advise people is like, my threshold now is like, what, what will I actually do every day? Because as we've talked about, 
anything that you do once a month is probably not going to have a huge impact on the rest of your life, right? It's the things that you do every single day, those, those little habits that compound that are either, you know, soothing your soul and building up your body and, and encouraging these natural healing processes, um, or they're taking away in some respects. <laughs> and, and I've recently come to that conclusion, you know, really concretely because uh, I think I told you I signed up for this hyper wellness thing, spa, maybe you call it hyper wellness gym, um, which uh, has cryotherapy, red light, sauna, um, IVs, uh, intramuscular shots, hyperbaric chamber. I think I probably hit them all. Um, and to, I don't have access to a gym. And so I'm doing some some yoga at home. I'm, I'm running more than I otherwise could uh, during the winter where I live. Um, and I figured it's kind of nice to have access to a a sauna and it was like a January special. So I was like, all right, I'll sign up for a month and, and have a place to go for a sauna. And, and lo and behold, you know, I wanted to use these other things, but you know, how much a hyperbaric chamber will help you if you do it once a week or once a month? I don't know if you do it every single day, I'm still not entirely sure. Uh, it's a little bit disruptive to your life. And then you start layering on these other things like, I don't actually think that our bodies, well, I, I know for certain that our bodies did not evolve to get nutrients or amino acids directly to your, your vein, right? Like part of the sign-up package, I had one IV included and I couldn't bring myself to do it. I was like, I, you know, loss aversion couldn't even compel me to willingly, you know, stick a, a syringe into my vein um, so I'm like super hydrated for that one day, right? <laughs> um, and they have like, you know, you can do the NAD plus ones and, you know, glutathione is a, you know, a, a, a detoxifying, you know, um, a, you know, master antioxidant. Or I think they also had a couple that's like taurine and one other, which are like, you know, for, for recovery and, you know, uh, protein synthesis and all that. But it's like, our bodies were not designed to have that, you know, straight to the vein. Um, and again, if I did, if I did think that, you know, the sort of hyper, uh, um, uh, what is it? I'm not late in the day. Clearly, uh, hydration was like so critical, or like maybe high doses of vitamin C, or maybe even some of these, like you know, um, uh, you know, the NAD kind of longevity things. I really did decide that like that was worth it. Um, I would have to tell myself that I'm going to go like once a week, right? Like because once a month or doing it this one time just it seems so silly to me. So right. that is my new threshold is like what can I build in as habit that I will actually carry through and it's going to become a part of my life because that ultimately if it's not if I'm not still doing it five years from now. Um, it's not really going to have an impact when I'm 85 years old. Unless you learn something from it. Maybe you learn something when you, uh, when you get something injected into your veins, you say, wow, that taurine actually really does make me feel good. I'm going to start drinking Red Bulls all the time now or something. You know, you learn now you can make some changes, even though you're not going to keep doing that habit. Uh, I don't know. But anyway, yeah, you know, yeah. funny, as you're talking, like, <laughs> what'd you say? I said, you, you, you might be right. But my issue is that like, you know, the hyperbaric chamber, right? Like, so I did a little research and I'm going to do a video, maybe, maybe write a blog post or something. And I did a little research and it's like, 
yeah, you know, the idea is that you're driving oxygenation deep into your cells, essentially, right? Like it's a pressurized 100% oxygen environment. Definitely not something any human has ever experienced on this planet. But, you know, I, I live at altitude. There's not a lot of oxygen here. Like maybe it will help with recovery. So I worked out like really, really hard. And then I go in, I lay in there, uh, brought my computer, by the way. It's it's actually kind of roomy. So I was like on my my elbows working for an hour. Zero effect. Like did not sleep better. Didn't feel like I was that much more recovered. Did it work? I don't know. But if I want to do it again, it's $74, right? Like every time I want to do it, you know, and I'm just not like my time and you know, money, I think, could go further, right? By like, you know, um, paying for really good food and going for a run. And that's why, you know, so yes, I did learn something. And you're right, a one-off activity can teach you something. But for me, I think that's, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think, to me, I always, like, I just always worry about the other side. I'm like, what, like, maybe they just don't yet know that it's not really that good for you to drive the oxygen deep into your cells. Because like you said, Humans haven't done that. I mean, I, Terrell Owens has done that. Maybe and other, you know, pro athletes do that sort of stuff. But like, people haven't done that for most of the long period that humans have been around. Uh, so it just seems scary to me to do it. And, and that's what that's what a lot of these optimizations when it comes to health. Uh, you know, well, I just get I just wonder what the other side is that like not not that they're not doing some research because certainly they are. But like once people start benefiting, start selling the the solution. Uh, I don't know. I just feel like there's there's not a lot of reason to to research that stuff for them. Um, right. Well, and that's what you find, right? So I like, you know, I was I was debating the IV. I thought, to your point, maybe I would find something. I wasn't about to like, you know, inject high doses of of amino acids. I probably would have gone with like the basic sort of magnesium, vitamin C, sort of like. And I had a cold, so like that's that was the thing that tempted me. Mm-hmm. See, like, what, what if I like make, wake up the next day and I'm like totally cured? And this is like, it's what they say. And so I Googled and I like wanted to learn a little bit about, about the safety, particularly outside of a, a traditional medical setting. You know, it's kind of, it's kind of freaky. You know, like, I don't know why this bag of IV solution would be any different than what the hospital buys. But like, for some reason, if I'm in the hospital and I have an acute issue and they're giving me an IV, somehow like the risk benefit is is there right sure. like when adriana was in the hospital like she had magnesium because that was a that was a a um acute situation that was a prescription like no one thinks twice about that but like somehow you know right next to sweet greens and chipotle there's like you know this this little hyper wellness spa thing and you know there's a nurse it's a nurse practitioner, whatever it might be. And you go through a medical, you know, process and you talk to a nurse practitioner over video. And it's actually like, it seems like a really well run operation, but I still think to myself, like you're still sticking a a needle in your vein and like where that solution come from. And is that like, you know, anyway, getting back to the point, there's not a lot of people talking about the other side, because if you Google about, safety and risks and and the rest like all you find are these types of iv lounges mm-hmm. talking about the benefits right right and talking right. about how you'll sleep better and it's going to cure your acne and your hair is going to grow thicker and like all these different things um you don't see i mean because it's not in the mayo clinic's interest right to like go out and like debunk 
some of these claims. No one's doing that work. And so if you want to, you can certainly convince yourself that these are, I mean, the stuff on hyperbaric chambers is amazing. But like I say, most of the first page of Google comes from these, these, you know, these, these spa types that are trying to drive people into the hyperbaric chamber. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, this, generally speaking, this is, this is the topic of interventionism and the idea of like, when, when should we actually intervene? And in many cases, we probably shouldn't intervene with what, you know, nature has figured out how to do. Uh, you mentioned when you've got an acute issue that's going on, like that's the time, surely you go get surgery or you, you take whatever action necessary because suddenly the, the risk profile is very different. And there's this, there's the uh, extreme risk of not doing anything right in the moment um, versus this sort of what I think optimization is, is basically these small interventions all the time. Uh, and so, yeah, I don't know, like this, as you were talking about the stuff being injected into your veins. Like that—that's a step beyond even the the whole food versus uh, you know food fortification, for example. Right? You might put the taurine in your food or whatever, and the whole people, whole food people will say that's not going to do anything because it's not there with its you know with the rest of the food. So you go a step further and you say, well, we're actually now just going to put that directly into your body, um, and it just it's just a different thing. So I don't know. I think this is a spectrum, obviously. So if you're taking supplements, you're optimizing in some way, you're, you're getting something instead of just the natural way of getting it from food. Um, and you know, obviously we sell supplements, we sell some, we take supplements. So it's not like we're of course, anti optimization in all forms, but I think it's interesting. We haven't yet really touched on the ELO smart protein thing, which is, I think another good example of like your body's not evolved for something, which is, uh, like an app that would, it would measure your workouts using Apple health or whatever else. And then based on that workout, it would tell you the exact down to, I don't know, to the gram, I guess, how much protein you should get based on your body type and what that workout was and all your stats. And if you imagine what we're evolved to do, it's definitely not that right. Like we, we, if, if you believe that we, that humans historically hunted animals and that's, that was the protein, the large protein source, um, in addition to a lot of gathering for sure, uh, it was something that just came every now and then, and you, you'd eat a whole lot of it. That would, I mean, in theory, I don't really know that much about the, the data, but I, I think that's the assumption. Uh, and that's so different from having something in these titrated doses, exactly the right amount at exactly the right amount of time. Um, so I think that's, and I don't know whether that's, that's a good thing or bad thing. It, it sounds like too much stress to me to have to deal with getting exactly that amount of protein versus a much more natural way of just like making sure I, you know, eat beans and a couple meals a day. Um, so that doesn't appeal to me, but I think it's an interesting example of just kind of kind of how far we'll go. And, and especially when we've got companies like the CGM companies as well, uh, we'll be telling you the importance of this stuff. And and it just it right. may not be true. And and in some cases, maybe harmful. I don't mm -hmm. think the, the protein thing is going to hurt you. But anyway, uh, interesting well, I discussion. Think, I think are we, I think are we out of time? Matt? No, I got uh, let's go a few more minutes, All right, uh, like five more minutes. Cause I gotta say, like it's it's hilarious to me that we're having this conversation while I am on this Prolon diet, which for those who, you know, Walter Longo is a I think, you know, amazing scientist out of uh, Stanford, published a lot of stuff on on uh, longevity and particularly fasting. I don't know why I think he's a Stanford. Stanford. Okay. Leave it Stanford. Okay. Because uh, if San Diego, I wouldn't. You know, I mean. I, I probably wouldn't be buying Prolon, right? Um, uh, so, 
but he of course has translated that research and the understanding that when your body is in a fasted state particularly prolonged fast um you know it does enter into these these cleanup cycles if you will autophagy and and so if you are removing some of the um you know uh the bad stuff let's just call it there's a lot of a lot of underlying biochemistry that i certainly will leave to smarter people than me to talk about um but you know we do know that that's an anti-cancer process kind of the the programmed cell death that is required to make sure that you know we're we're growing in all the right ways and not in the wrong ways and you can you can get there by fasting and his point is you know well actually you can get there by eating a little bit of food um and i'll, I'll just sort of simplify by saying you know an ultra low calorie diet that you know is is obviously a hundred percent plant-based and uh kind of brutal to get through um but we talked about elo we talked about you know the cgm companies promoting this stuff and you always have to have a little bit of a an eye towards the corporate motive um right that is promoting it because the reality is i was thinking to myself you know if my goal is just to get like under 650 calories if that's like the simplified version and obviously you know uh, uh this is ultra processed food in the sense that like it's like one protein bar. It's like some pulverized lentils that they're calling a soup, right? Um, what else was there? Uh, and some some olives and like some crackers. Like that's the day, right? So the only whole food thing in that day is a handful of olives. And I've thought to myself, like, wh what if I just had a big salad with like spinach and broccoli, you know, and maybe some sweet potatoes, you know, but but it would probably be very low carb, very low calorie, probably not dressing, right? Like I could actually get that similar macros, right? And and could I simulate this over five days of doing that, right? Where you have these long bouts of, of truly fasted states um, and overall staying under the same macro profile. I bet you that would do the same thing. Um, now I do have like glycerol, which you're supposed to be sipping throughout the day. I don't actually do that as much. Um, and I don't know the science behind that. So maybe that would debunk my whole theory, but I don't think so. I think that instead the company would rather you buy the $169 kit, which, you know, for 15 meals over the course of five days ain't cheap. Uh, you're on mute, by the way. Um, you know, it's actually not a bad deal. I've told myself that. Um, but nonetheless, I do want to point out that, you know, there's always... There's always a motive. Someone, someone's got to make some money for it to reach you, right? Yeah, I've had the exact same thoughts about Prolon, uh, and I like it myself. I've done it many times, and uh, always wonder could I do the at-home version? And I've looked, and if you look at the literature, it's highly discouraged uh, by the Prolon people to try to do it at home. It cannot be, should not be attempted at home. You got to, uh, you got to. But do they, do they give a reason? <laughs> I think it's the exact formulation of spices and things that turns on the uh, autophagy. I don't know, something like that. Uh, it's it's a, it's it's a titrated dose of paprika <laughs> in this lentil soup. Yep, that is that is the the, the flip switcher. I do think I, I think his all the profits from that go to his foundation and that foundation is for longevity research and stuff. So I guess it's it's that. But who knows uh, where it's actually okay. going? I appreciate that. I appreciate yeah. that. But um, look, nonprofits can pay out very sizable salaries to the people who are running them. So I'm, 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 I'm still skeptical. I'm always skeptical. Yeah, right. Yeah.
But so Prolon, interesting example, because like even if you did replicate it at home, like to me, you're kind of still optimizing, right? You're still going through a week every now and then to do this fasting mimicking thing, a scientific concept that probably wasn't exactly how real fasting happened. And the point is to simulate fasting in a way that does still allow you to get some calories and get these benefits of something that is supposed to be a natural thing. And what I wonder is like, is that the sweet spot and where as we get, I still feel like we're kind of in this awkward phase of technology. Maybe we're coming out of it where like it, it's been since like, I don't know, 2010, when it just took over the world, like it's still been kind of an intrusive thing and it's awkward. And we're not sure how to deal with having phones and, you know, also being human. Uh, it's just this thing we haven't, yeah. we're dealing with that right now. And so I think when we get past that, if we get past that, um, we might arrive at a spot where the technologies can be so elegant that, that like, you know, maybe there is a, a thing that will simulate fasting or, a, a, you know, we will know exactly what we should do. And maybe there will be monitors and things that we can wear that really will improve our lives in the way that we've talked about, uh, while also really limiting those downsides. Like, I don't know, I don't know why I would imagine that would be, but, but a heart rate monitor perhaps that, that you don't have to look at, uh, it alerts you or it saves stuff and it tells you about it later or AI notices different like physiological, you know, things. And then it learns for you and it then gives you a download later on of the information you need to know based on that. So I just think perhaps that this is symptomatic of like this awkward technology phase. And that at some point we will have a bunch of elegant solutions that really, you know, and maybe a lot more certainty around what works and what doesn't. Uh, and this won't be such the issue it is to optimize or, or not. I mean, my, my parting thought will be that's the future I, I hope for as a techno enthusiast. I'm a, I'm a techno optimist as, as Mark Andreessen would, would say, I think if we look back at the process that has led us to this moment, there's a lot of bad things happening in the world. There's a lot of sad things that happen every day to good people. Um, but on, on the whole, if you look at the trend lines, uh, infant mortality, right? Severe malnutrition, right? Like, you know, I mean, truly abject poverty, like around the globe, we are in a way, way better situation than we have ever been in any time in human history. Like, and all of that comes through technological advancement, right? Clean water, you know, more efficient ways to, to feed people, et cetera, et cetera. It's all because of technology. So in that way, I'm a techno optimist. And I do believe that there will be a future that um, we, we see benefit accrue to humans because we can catch heart disease earlier, for instance, because of, you know, uh, irregular um heartbeats that are just picked up naturally because like we embed a little tiny sensor and just have this constant ekg going for for you know from a young age right like we just find that kind of stuff and prevention is worth an ounce of cure so i am optimistic about that i also worry about the dystopian view where you know we've all we're all walking around with our own iv bags and like getting just you know no one eats anymore because like we just get the nutrients that we need to, right to our blood as we talked about that is certainly a risk. So with that, I don't know where we're ending up. We're, we're, we're pro learning, we're pro experimenting, but ultimately we should all move to Sardinia and, and drink high <laughs> antioxidant wine. Is that, I think, yeah, I think that's a conclusion. More or less. I think to me, it's about kind of phases of life. And like, there's a time in your life when you're gung ho about running stuff and qualifying for races and doing stuff. And in that moment, the heart rate monitor thing makes a lot of sense, right? Cause it's cause to do anything less than that, you're not going to be satisfied. 
uh, and you learn something. And then for the next phase in your life, when you're into meditation and you're into just being in nature and doing what your body's meant to do, uh, you can take those learnings and you can have that. And then at some point you swing back same way with nutrition. I think, I think that's how it works. I think it's a, uh, it depends on what mood you're in. And as long as, and if you are changing those moods, you're trying different things. That means you are going through this process of learning. And, uh, and in general, I think we both agree. That's, that's a good thing. Better than stagnate. I'd love to hear what the audience thinks. I got to roll. <laughs> yeah, me too. All right. Uh, talk to you later, Bye. Matt. Have a good one. We'll be back next week. Thank you.